And we are live, folks. A new poll recently conducted by Rasmussen Reports shows some disturbing results about Democrats' positions on the Supreme Court and the Constitution. Also, do we have to endure high gas prices and energy prices to protect democracy? That seems to be the message from the elites at the World Economic Forum. We're going to be talking about this and more on episode 354 of the In the Tank podcast. Welcome to the Tank Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? I'm doing great. Uh, I sent the email out today alerting people of our every day, uh, every Thursday at noon Central Time live broadcast. And I had in there an image of one Justin T. Haskins. And uh, he's not on the podcast at the moment. We are hoping that maybe he'll come in late. So keep your fingers crossed and watch to the end grace us with his presence you might say mm. also joining us chris talgo senior editor at the heartland institute how are you today good sir doing good and uh justin's here in spirit if he's not here in person that's right that's <laughs> right everyone's just clamoring where's justin where's justin we get all this mail it has to be brought in like all of those uh uh bailiffs and uh miracle on 34th street right dump it all in you, okay, never mind. Not really. Audio no. listeners. <laughs> I don't know, Donnie. I work here now. I don't see that. You guys are just the, the best backup crew for any of my jokes, I must say. You, you really you really add to the, the humor and levity of the show. Well, normally, Donnie, you, you preview your jokes before we go on air. That way I can practice pretend laughing, but you didn't mm -hmm. do that that's, this time. That's right. So, sorry. That's right. Yeah, we should have done that. No prep. Audio only listeners, uh, join us a day earlier. If you're probably listening to us on a Friday, join us on Thursdays at noon Central Time, Streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Rumble and Twitter. You can join uh, join in on the show. Post your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly during the show. Also, if you are subscribed to us on YouTube under, under the Heartland Institute channel, also make sure to subscribe to the In the Tank podcast channel. We created a separate channel just for this show after YouTube threatened to destroy our account based on some things that we said, controversial things. So if there's an episode that we might be a little too controversial for the main Heartland stream, we'll specifically do it on the In The Tank podcast channel. So ensure that you don't miss an episode by subscribing to that as well. So uh, before we get going, uh, we got a lot to talk about. It seems like every week we have a lot to talk about. But I have a bit of a theory of sorts that I want to uh, throw out there and, and get your uh, reactions to. Jim, this is a this is a wild card. I wasn't uh, I didn't put this in the show notes or anything like that. This is just while I was prepping for the show, I was thinking about this. So this is in regards to inflation and gas prices. Chris already knows where I'm going with this. So uh, these are the two arguably biggest headwinds that are going against the, the, the ruling party right now heading into the midterms election, um, the inflation and gas prices, I mean. So is it possible, is it possible that the Biden administration is allowing gas and inflation to reach heights uh, that it has reached so far 
so that when they moderately tail off in the next couple of months leading into the election, they can claim that their plans are working and you got to keep us in, in power because, you know, we got the inflation from, you know, 9% or whatever it was just uh, with the recent results down to 6% come election time. And, you know, this looks better, you know, peaking and then slightly going down looks better than a slow and steady increase to 6% by the, uh, by the midterm elections. And the reason why I was thinking about this it's because there's a lot of pro-Biden types on Twitter and social media celebrating the fact that gas prices have dropped over the past, I don't know, 20 days or something like that. Yeah. And uh, even though the average gas price of in, in America is still double what it was you know, a year ago, but $5 does seem a lot better than $6 when it was you know, 6 bucks about a month ago. So, Jim, what do you think about that? What do you think? Uh, I think there's a bit of a problem with that theory. Uh, as you were describing that, uh, as you were laying out that theory, uh, I remembered kind of it's like political conventional wisdom that the electorate's uh, view of the economy is baked in to their votes in November, like in the spring of the of that year. Um, I'm actually reminded of the uh, 1992 election where. George H.W. Bush was up for re-election going up against this uh, young governor no one had even heard of about six months previous to the primaries named Bill Clinton. And they are uh, uh, James Carville, the campaign manager, famously said, it's the economy, stupid. And they kept hammering and hammering that this is the worst economy in American history, worse than the greatest or since the Great Depression and stuff like that. In actuality, the economy had already started to turn around by late spring and into summer of uh, of 1992 and by the time election day came around it was you know cooking it was doing great but by then the messaging of this is the worst economy since the great depression uh and all this stuff it was already baked into the electorate and so no matter what was said about the truth no matter actually no matter what data even came out economic data came out it didn't change the minds of the voters who were convinced that the economy was in the gutter uh the and so what's even more challenging for biden right now is that you don't need to be told the economy is in the gutter. You don't need to be convinced otherwise from the data that the economy is in the gutter. Everybody feels it every single day when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the gas station. Uh, the inflation numbers that just came out this week, 9.1% 9, 9 annual inflation rate. So everything you're buying today, according to what they index in the, uh, in, in the inflation number, is 9.1% more expensive than it was just one year ago. But the actual inflation rate, as everybody knows, is higher than that. Um, everything you pay for, uh, they don't measure a lot of the things you have to pay for to live, like uh, energy prices, for instance, I believe, is not included in that index. And then I just saw right before we went on the air that the uh, wholesale inflation is 11.1%. So the people that bring you the goods and services to sell to you are paying 11% more than they did a year ago. So you don't have to try to convince somebody or, you know, no one's going to buy it that uh, if inflation is only 7% or 6% <laughs> in October or, no, or in late October of uh, 2022, that things are getting better. And we need to keep this great economic team on board lest we, lest we ruin the uh, <laughs> lest we ruin this great economic recovery that we're having. It's, it's just not going to happen. I don't buy it at all. Donnie, Donnie, real quick, just I, I disagree with your premise that uh, inflation's going to go down between now and November when it's going up. And just like Jim said, producer price index, which is, you know, the barometer of future inflationary pressures was 11.3 percent. So what what could possibly happen in the next two or three or four months that would reverse the trend. 
Yeah, well, I'm, I know that they're weighing the idea of a more drastic rate increase with the Fed. So that would be something if we head into just like a flat out recession, that would be a natural pressure against inflation. But well, I'm just, you know, like when I'm driving to work and but, I see it. But, 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 but the, the Democrats who control both houses of Congress and the presidency are actually talking about uh, resurrecting Build Back Better. However, uh, Joe Manchin said that he's going to take a new look at it as long as it's scrubbed. So they're not they're not taking uh, policy measures that would uh, counteract and reduce inflation. They're actually pursuing policy measures that would make it worse. So that's why watch yourself, Andy. I know what you're doing. I disagree with your premise that that they they have this grand plan where they're going to make inflation go real high. And then right before the election, they're going to somehow <laughs> magically make it go down. Why wouldn't they just make it go down in the first place? I mean, this just makes, that makes no sense. Look, so, the, uh, the, the American people are in an abusive relationship with their, with their <laughs> government right now. Um, just because your, your, uh, your, your husband stops pat bashing you in the face and says, I love yeah. you tomorrow. Doesn't mean that that's a good husband. And this is, that's why is, this is not a good economy or, or good people in charge of our public policy in this country. You know, Chris harps on this every time we have to talk about inflation, which is almost every <laughs> single podcast. There is so much uh, fake money printed. They don't even print anymore. But so much uh, cash was was put into the economy, starting with with COVID. Trump started it by agreeing to the, the spending, uh, you know, the spending stuff. So so Biden actually uh, has the gall to go on to go out in public and say, I've reduced the deficit more than any president ever by reducing our additional spending from the usual boondoggles that come out of Congress from five, tr from like $10 trillion to, to $7 trillion. So I've cut the deficit by $3 trillion. Don't hold me to those numbers, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, people are not buying it. P people are not stupid. Look, what, what was, uh, there was one, I think it was called the civics poll had Biden's approval rating at 28%. 28%. I think there's venereal diseases that, that pull better than 28% in this country. I mean, that's pathetic. So, so, you know, I, I know you're, I know you're a big Biden fan, Donnie, and you really want to, you really oh hope that he God. and the democratic party and, and, and the left that, you know, the, the radical leftists that are running this country, you know, continue to, to have, to get some, some wind at their back uh, to, to roll into 2024, but uh, it's not going to happen. Okay, I don't know how you construed <laughs> well, anything well, I had me, to say but, to be but, but in Connie, support of the Biden administration, but okay. Can I just add one other one other thing? Uh, yeah. Let's let's never forget that Joe Biden inherited a V-shaped recovery because after uh, the, the lockdowns were basically lifted in the latter months of uh, the Trump presidency, our economy was booming. We had a near thirty percent GDP figure. I think it was third or fourth quarter twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, what was the last uh, uh, GDP figure for the first quarter of 2022? Negative. So Joe Biden inherited a economy definitely on the rise. And what did he do? He took it and put it back in the ditch. Well, on I purpose in conversations that we have about the upcoming election, I really get the sense that you guys like think that are just like, eh, we're going to pack it up. We're not even going to fight. You know, we're just going to count this as a loss. The Dems are. And I just don't that, but think I, that's going to happen. I, I, I'm not saying that, but I think that what they're what they're going to do is they're going to try to uh, uh, run on uh, abortion and some of these social issues. But I think that the American people are saying, you know what? Uh, abortion is so far down in our list of. Uh, concerns right now and, and and climate change and what's number one on almost all Americans concerns inflation the economy oh, so yeah, I, think, right. I think I think they're going to vote their, prices, their surely yeah, right, and, exactly. and, 
And it's already baked into people's mentality. There's, there's right. no news you're going to hear between now and well, how many months is it now? It's like one, two, three, four, four months. There, there's no good economic news you could get between now and November. Yeah, but the way that they're going to spin they, it. They already know that, we, that they live in misery, that their lives are so much worse off than the way they were just a year it, though, or two years ago. The Putin price hike, you know, oh. caused gasoline to go to six dollars. No and then because it. of my mm-hmm. the my level headed my level headed policies and all of that it have driven gas down to you know four dollars five dollars no, that's well, what we're we gonna have, run on you're drinking a, you're drinking the Biden Kool Aid oh Stop my it. god <laughs> that's all right you we guys, have a video. put your head in the sand put your head in the sand they're not gonna fight back they're not even gonna run candidates it's just gonna be a complete red wave you know that no, we no, don't no. have to plan no, no, for any no, type they're, of they're, they're, any type of strategy no 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 Donnie here's their strategy. To cheat again. <laughs> oh, oh, now nah, we just see, got canceled. We just see, got that's canceled. why we have to have our own in the tank podcast channel on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, just for, of for, the, like for, for a stray statement like that. But we're going to have a video. Yeah, man. There you go. <laughs> they, we're going to have a video clip, though, later in this podcast that shows that actually they don't care about uh, high gas prices. They want the gas prices to go higher. It's just the price we have to pay to sustain the liberal world order. We will get to that. We will get to that. But yeah, you already mentioned just the abysmal Biden approval numbers. I mean, they're like 30%, something like that. According to a uh, Yahoo YouGov poll, only 18% of the country think Biden should run for a second term. This includes only 9% of Republicans and only 35% of Democrats that want him to run again. Uh, The poll that we did in May asked a similar question about uh, whether or not you want Biden to run for a second term. Uh, only had 28% of likely voters saying, yeah, run again, including only 49% of Democrats, ha- less than half of Democrats even want him to run again. And if that you poll gov is uh, you gov poll is as good as the Rasmussen one, it seems like those numbers are going down. So it seems like they have to do something. And I am curious if they're just going to completely cut Biden loose. And I think we'll get a hint of that as the midterm elections ramp up, whether or not these candidates have Biden campaigning on their behalf. I think if they well, don't and they keep them in the cupboard or whatever, that's going to be a sign that they're going to cut completely well, loose from them in the general in, election. In, in, in most of the Democratic primary elections, uh, the uh, the Democratic uh, 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 office holders actually telling Joe Biden, please do not come. We do not want to. Uh, no, perfect. You know, yeah, this is the, we'll take this Kamala. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, they're not getting her either. I mean, this is the hottest part of the midterm election season right now, summer. You should be the president should be out there every week uh, helping to secure, you know, the Democratic majority in Congress. And he's not he's not out there because nobody wants him out there. I had predicted, I think, shortly after Biden became president, I predicted that he would probably be, uh, you know, shuttled and uh, pushed out of office after the midterms. And I still, and I think it's even more likely now than it ever was. Uh, I, I still, I, I didn't believe it when he became president that he would finish his first term. And I still don't believe he'll finish his first term. I'll stand by that. Yeah, we will see. It'll be an interesting couple of months here. Um, well, Tanya, right. I, I think the big question is who's actually running the White House? Who, re- <laughs> well, who really is running the White House? I think it's Ron Klain. Personally. I think it's Pete Buttigieg. Anyways, uh, we got we got a lot to get into, so let's get into these polls. We got a whole series of polls. I want to get through as much of it as possible while still saving time for the thing that Jim teased. So last week, I mentioned the idea that we were putting together some polls with Rasmussen. Well, earlier this week, we got our results in, and I'll tell you, these results were uh, pretty amazing in terms of like headline grabbing numbers. 
but also incredibly depressing at the same time. So we asked people their views on the Supreme Court, the Constitution, and America in general. Um, we, so we've, we've commissioned several polls with Rasmussen uh, over the years, most of which have been pretty successful in garnering media attention. So they give us a pretty long leash when it comes to coming up with questions now. Like they kind of just leave it up to us. So over the past uh, three polls or so, we've really tried to make a concerted effort to push the envelope to kind of go a little bit further than just like, what do you think of the Supreme Court or something like that? So a couple of polls ago, we did um, uh, we were trying to trying to see how removed from reality CNN and MSNBC viewers were when it comes to knowing specific facts. You know, how much global warming is there? Something about like uh, uh, sh shootings with assault rifles. And, uh, you know, will we all die from climate change in 50 years? And then the poll before this one uh, that we did a couple of months ago, we were trying to determine just how authoritarian people could be in regards to COVID-19. Uh, we asked, like, you know, would you be in favor of fines or, or limiting people's travel based on their vaccination status? Would you be in favor of tracking the unvaxxed, putting unvaxxed people in camps? And then we thought, like, what is the craziest thing that we could ask people? <laughs> And we came up with, would you be willing to support a plan to take people's kids away uh, if they chose not to vaccinate them or themselves? And to our surprise, to my surprise, 25% of Democrats supported that. So even the craziest question I could come up with still did not turn off more than 75% of Democrats. So this poll, we were asking people about America, the Supreme Court, and the Constitution. And we tried to push the envelope even further. So uh, let's proceed in the order in which we've released these uh, results. So we'll start with the Supreme Court. So I just want to go over like the first couple of results, and then we'll get to the more crazy questions. So the first one is just your general favorability question, uh, to which 51% responded saying, 52% responded saying that they have a very or somewhat favorable view of the Supreme Court. Now, when it came to Democrats, that was a much lower number. That was 33%, so about a third. Uh, this this didn't surprise me very much. I mean, considering all of the news that's going on with the Supreme Court, these numbers didn't strike me as too uh, crazy. Then we started asking, um, do, you, do you agree or disagree with the following statement? The U.S. Supreme Court is a fundamentally racist institution, to which, out of likely voters, 34% strongly or somewhat agreed with that statement that number for democrats jumps up to 56 percent over half of democrats uh self-identified democrats responded strongly agree or somewhat agree to the idea that the u.s supreme court is fundamentally racist institution um, then we asked it whether or not it was a sexist institution to which 41% of likely voters said that they strongly or somewhat agree to that. And a whopping 67% of Democrats said yes, strongly agree, somewhat agree that the U.S. Supreme Court is a fundamentally sexist institution. So before we get into any of the further results, I want to, uh, I want to hear what you guys think about those first couple of questions. Uh, I'll go with you first, Chris. Uh, you know, I think it's 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 scary in some ways that uh, such a high percentage of Democrats, liberals and young people uh, have such uh, bad opinions of the Supreme Court. Um, I think a lot of this has to do with the recent rulings. I think that the uh, the Supreme Court has just been, you know, 
in, in, in the media in particular, the Supreme Court has been tarred and feathered. And I think that most Democrats and most uh, young Americans, you know, are just buying the talking points that they're hearing from AOC, Nancy Pelosi, CNN, MSNBC, and all the like, that the Supreme Court has just overruled Roe v. Wade. And now the Supreme Court's going to go after gay marriage and the Supreme Court's going to go after this, that, and the other thing. When we all know that that is completely not true, all the Supreme Court said is, hey, there's no constitutional right to, you know, an abortion. Uh, the Supreme Court also said, hey, EPA, in another ruling that really, really made uh, a lot of liberals go you know, crazy, said, hey, EPA, you can't just uh, uh, oversee all the regulations and, uh, and regulate carbon dioxide when the Congress has not passed laws that allows you to do that. So I, I'm, I'm extremely glad, and I know we've talked about this the past couple of uh, uh, episodes, that the Supreme Court's actually, uh, you know, fulfilling its role of saying, what does the Constitution say? And we're going to, you know, interpret, you know, laws based on what the Constitution says. Democrats don't like that because that actually limits government and it, uh, you know, it, it enhances personal freedoms. And those are things that they actually do not agree with at this point in time. Jim, do you want to comment on these first three results or do you want me to get to a, a slightly juicier question? No, I'll just comment that I would have liked to have seen this is the first time we've asked that question. We're, we're just kind of, to be honest, just kind of starting to get into the polling business from our uh, uh, from our Center on Socialism Research. And that's why you see questions like this. We're actually we're trying to probe the country and to see how socialist are we really? How many and it, it really actually what we're trying to, I think, get at is like how much socialist garbage have younger generations especially have been fed in the education system and how much socialist garbage are we consuming and it's affecting the way we think about our country from our culture from our politics and all of that you know i mean the rise of aoc the popularity of bernie sanders i mean the democratic party has exposed itself as moving farther and farther to the left and these polling results really show, I think, if you look down in the cross tabs and you should go to heartland.org and then you can click on uh, each of these polls and then there's a link. You can get an Excel spreadsheet so you can see for yourself. You can go down into the cross tabs and see what people aged uh, voters, likely voters aged 19 to 39 think about something or yep. people who think about, you know, people who are liberals, what they think about something or Democrats and all of that. And what you see is that. You know, we, we've known we've just kind of you, you see that the Democratic Party has moved farther and farther and farther to the left. And what you really realize in polls like this is just one, how far to the left they are, but how isolated they are from really the rest of the country. Like another great crosstab to look at is independence. And the independents are much closer to you know where what Republicans and conservatives say about you know the the legitimacy really of the Supreme Court, and that's what this this question these questions really were getting at. And the left and Democrats no longer believe that the Supreme Court is a legitimate institution, government institution in this country. That is troubling. Um, but mm -hmm. the I guess the better part of that is that most of the country doesn't think that it's just it's only one major party, political party in this country <laughs> right. that seems to think this way because Democrats are a lot of people. Yeah, there's that great. Uh, I, I immediately actually thought of this meme that's up on uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's up on our our, our uh, video uh, podcast right now when I read the results of these polls. And so, you know, I actually would have liked to have seen what the Democrats and liberals would have said about the Supreme Court, say, uh, at the end of the Obama administration or sure. when John Roberts said that, you know, distorted the meaning of words in the English language to to maintain Obamacare. I bet they had a lot more faith in the Supreme Court then. And I also would have imagined that most Republicans and conservatives would not have wavered very much in their faith in the in the uh, uh 
in in the sanctity, or I should say, in the in the um, uh, the authority and the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, even when decisions go against us. And I, I I've harped on this this theme a lot on this podcast. But the left and the Democrats are just not used to taking losses, and they don't deal with it very well. And they tend to just kind of get emotional and say, "Burn it all down." And I think as we're going to keep going through these polling results, that's what is that's what's being exposed here is how much of this country. Once they don't get their way, want to just burn everything down or delegitimize it by calling it racist and sexist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie, you know, Jim, Jim brings up such a great point, because when the Supreme Court uh, just basically ruled out of thin air that, you know, gay marriage was now, you know, law of the land. I don't remember a ton of conservatives or a ton of uh, Republican lawmakers coming out and saying, we should defy the Supreme Court or, you know, get on the, you know, like Chuck Schumer did where he was basically threatening, you know, Supreme Court justices if they did not vote in the way that he wanted them to vote. So I think Jim's right. I, I think that uh, conservatives and Republicans in general, they they want to preserve these institutions because they understand how how fundamentally important they are to our, you know, to our country and, and to a functioning you know, constitutional republic. The Democrats are are all. I mean, I hate to say this, but you know, I'm going to paint with a broad brush. They are all about power, and they are all, all about ends justify the means. And when they are unable to uh, to manufacture the outcome that they want, whether it's through the Supreme Court or whether it's through Congress or even you know in a presidential executive order, they just go ballistic because they they cannot deal with it. Yeah, and and, and just just one last thing. I know you want to get through a lot of these numbers. But the purpose of the Constitution is to protect the rights that we have as free people that exist beyond government. And the job of the Supreme Court is to make sure that our rights that existed before government are not violated by that government. That's what the purpose of the Supreme Court is, to interpret the Constitution to protect our rights, not to invent new rights, not to advance certain policy proposals, but to protect our rights. And, and more, at least half of this country, or at least one of the major political parties in this country doesn't see the Constitution that way, doesn't see the Supreme Court's role that way. They only see it, as Chris said, the, the purpose of government, including the Supreme Court or even the Constitution, is to wield power and to advance my agenda in opposition to everybody else. In other words, to, to make it so that it's <laughs> illegal or, or unconstitutional to oppose my agenda. Uh, so this completely different way of viewing the Constitution and the Supreme Court and frankly, the very concept of this country and America itself, you know, it, it's it's kind of dangerous if this continues this way and people people don't get smart about it. If you want to win on policy, get the votes. Yeah. Well, we just started with these questions. So we've got, yeah. uh, we've got we've got uh, th this is where it starts to get scary. So we asked the question. There are nine justices on the Supreme Court. Some congressional Democrats have proposed expanding that number to 13. Would you strongly favor, somewhat favor, somewhat oppose or strongly oppose legislation to increase the size of the Supreme Court to 13 seats? So uh, in the past, when we've talked about this, this is just court packing. We've talked about this in length. They tell us uh, in the articles that we read and the politicians that uh, speak on this that, no, no, there's there's no real political will to actually do this. So we asked this question, not thinking that there was going to be uh, huge results in favor of this. But I will say the results were a little scary. So even for likely voters, 40 percent, 40 percent said that they would strongly or somewhat favor this plan. Four in 10 likely voters. That's a little troubling. That's a lot higher than I was expecting it to be. That number for the Democrats uh, jumps up to 64 percent, 
So two thirds of people that consider themselves Democrats, nearly two thirds, are in support of packing the court and putting an extra four justices on there. Um, I mean, Chris, do you think that these numbers would embolden Democratic lawmakers to take this policy on? Is there one of their platforms or something in upcoming elections or no? Oh, of course I do. And 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 they have been talking and wanting to expand the court for several years. So this is not like a newfound phenomenon that they've, you know, taken up here. Uh, I guess that they uh, are unaware that in the 1930s, FDR tried this when he had uh, control of both houses of Congress. I believe he actually had super majorities in both. And hey, guess what? His own party refused to uh to pack the courts. Hmm. Um, I think that it's, it's, it's the same dynamic now. I, I think Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and a bunch of other, uh, you know, Democrats would never uh, vote for this. So I think that it's dead on arrival. However, you know, in, 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 you know, the years to come as more and more of the AOC uh, wing of the party, you know, yep. become more powerful. It would not surprise me if this becomes, you know, a, a a new goal and something that they are, you know, readily willing to do. Um, I it's just it, it it saddens me and it's just it's 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 scary because once again the Supreme Court is is a you know longstanding institution. We've had nine justices, you know, since I think just before the Civil War. And and just because they don't get their way on a couple of rulings and just because President Trump, you know, uh, was able to push three of his preferred judges through who uh, they obviously do not agree with the Democrats, uh, you know, view of the Supreme Court and the Constitution and everything. They are just throwing a hissy fit and saying, well, we just want to, you know, tear down the system and and and, and do and do it the way we want to do it. It's it's juvenile. So, so we pushed it uh, a little bit further with this next question. I'm going to go to you, Jim, for your reactions on this one. So this is also asking about favorability of a plan to abolish the current Supreme Court and establish a new democratically elected Supreme Court with justices chosen by the American people directly. So this plan uh, got 37% of likely voters, again, much higher than I was expecting it to be, and out of the Democratic Party, over half. 53% said, yes, yes, I would I would like to uh, abolish the current Supreme Court and replace it with a, a, a much more politicized version of it. Jim, uh, when you see these numbers, you're just heart sink. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, yeah, it, it does sink a little bit. Actually, I looked this up this morning and, and the idea of, of converting the Supreme Court into yet another uh, elected body, uh, you know, the, one of the worst reforms of the early 20th century was it the 17th Amendment, I think it was, Chris, where we we went to the direct election of senators by the people yep. when they used to be senators. I think it's 17th Amendment, but they used to be appointed by the state legislatures, uh, le legislators, uh, the legislatures, I should say, in each state. And the purpose of the Senate from the founding of this country was to protect the interests of the states, which had their mm -hmm. own level of sovereignty against overreach by the federal government. Getting rid of that just made the Senate basically a smaller uh, super legislature. And now now, now a, a, a troubling number of Americans, but especially a majority now of Democrats, want to exchange the Supreme Court. They, they just don't see 
again, is this just come down to education? Chris, you're a former public school teacher. Do these people not understand what the Supreme Court is for? What the Constitution actually does, which again is to protect our rights from the government, not to grant us rights. And so this idea of a 13 member, let's just let's pack the court and make it elective. So we'll just we'll do both in one swoop. You know, it that it's not that's not what its purpose is. In fact, I I remember hearing after the these decisions that, that went the, the way that the liberals didn't like, they were talking about just abolish the Supreme Court. We shouldn't even have one. Right. Uh, it's like, OK, well, how's that good? How's that going to work? Uh, you know, the, the founding fathers created a system of government the way they did because they had a lot of experience in bad forms of government. And they they purposely wanted to make it difficult to pass legislation that would have sweeping uh, effects on the, the majority of people. And one of the checks, the checks, the old checks and balances in our government, the most important check on that is the Supreme Court. If something is not constitutional, if it violates your rights that are yours before government, then that law cannot be enforced. We need to throw it out. It's unconstitutional. Uh, I, I was looking up, there was a poll 2021 University of Pennsylvania Annenberg Public Policy Center, uh, just 56% of Americans can name all three branches of government. And just 51% correctly said that the Supreme Court of the United States has the final say on constitutional matters. So when you when you look at really the 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 civic ignorance that is just seems to be endemic in this country, it does not surprise me that that you would get a poll result like we got, that they think the Supreme Court should just be replaced by yet another elected body uh, because people don't really understand how our government and why our government was set up the way it was. And that's actually really dangerous for all of our liberty if this trend continues where people don't understand. Yeah, you know, I, I know that there's a, a lot of debate to be had with the way that the Supreme Court is structured and, uh, you know, like maybe we'd be singing a different tune if, uh, you know, certain... Certain Supreme Court justices didn't um, take an, a leave while Trump was in office and in a position to replace them and the idea of term limits and all of that. But the next question that I have uh, goes way further than this last one. Uh, when Justin and I were coming up with these questions, I was trying to think, what's an even crazier question that we can ask? And it took us a minute to come up with this one, but uh, we came up with this. So would you strongly favor, somewhat favor, somewhat oppose, or strongly oppose a constitutional amendment that would give the United Nations the authority to reverse U.S. Supreme Court decisions that U.N. members believe to violate human rights? So when we came up with this question, Justin says to me, like, what if no one says yes to this question? <laughs> and I responded, you know, in all of our polls, we've tried to find, like, wh where we've gone too far. You know, wh what's going too far? Where, where's the line? And so far, we have not found the line. So I said to him, you know, if nobody says yes to this, if we get 0% of people saying yes to this, at least we'll know where the line is. Hmm. Well, folks, I can safely say we have not found the line yet. Because on this one, likely voters, 29%. 29% said yes to this. More troubling, 40% uh, of Democrats said yes to this. 40%, so 4 in 10 Democrats said, yes, I want to cede some of our national sovereignty to the United Nations. And even more troubling than that, 48%, almost half of the age group of 19 to 39-year-olds said, yes, yes, I think the uh, the United Nations should have ultimate say over our uh, human rights in this country. Uh, I, I was dumbstruck by this. I, I thought maybe 5 to 10% would say yes to this. I did not think we were going to see numbers this high. Chris, what was your reaction to this one? 
I was somewhat surprised by the high numbers. However, uh, as you as you highlighted, the young uh, Americans uh, aged 19 to 39, about half uh, agree with this statement. That does not surprise me at all, because I think that we uh, have been uh, teaching, you know, our our uh, young generation for the past, uh, you know, decade or so that America is a bad place and that globalism is a great thing. So it would make sense to say that the United Nations is inherently good because they're a global institution and they should have, you know, ultimate power over uh, making sure that American citizens' uh, rights are protected. I think that that is, you know, bonkers. I would never in a million years ever want the United Nations to have, uh, you know, power over the United States in terms of, uh, you know, human rights, especially because the United Nations has countries like Iran on their human rights council, which I think is, you know, hilarious. Uh, but, but Donnie, I think that, you know, Democrats and young voters are in, in, in a, the mindset that America is a bad place. And the more that we can destroy the existing structures whether it's the Supreme Court, the Constitution, and remake it with a globalist or more of a direct democracy uh, type of approach, they think that the better off they are. They are because they think that that will increase their power. Right. So I think this, you know, boils down to Democrats liking globalism and liking, you know, uh, more of a direct democracy approach because then they feel that hey. That will allow us to, you know, win almost every major presidential election, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. But those of us who understand the Constitution and who understand the way that the United States was set up, it was set up to protect the rights of individual people. And it was protected. It was set up to protect the rights of states. Those are two things that are just completely counter to the Democrats agenda and to uh, most young people these days. So. It's yeah, somewhat my, surprising, but man, is it frightening. So the reason why we put some of these like crazier questions in is because you see this type of rhetoric like on Twitter. But like, you know, Twitter is not representative of the country at all. Uh, you know, it's just usually a very vocal minority that's just like shouting and then they get the most attention. So it's like, you know, you might see something like this trending on Twitter. But again, it's not representative of the world. So, or the country, I should say. So that's why we put this question in there. Because if it did come out to be 4%, I'm like, all right, yeah, it's just that echo chamber of Twitter that's amplifying these stupid messages. But now 40% of Democrats saying that, yeah, yeah, forget national sovereignty when it comes to this stuff. The UN should do it. Yeah, I want I want China to weigh in on whether or not we're violating human rights. That's a good idea. Like, it blows my mind. <laughs> Uh, Jim, I'm going to race through some of these uh, Constitution oh, just, answers. Just let me just add a real quick thing, because we've had people in the comments here on YouTube uh, mentioned uh, Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States. And it, uh, it reminded me that if you spend a generation or two using that leftist nutjobs, People's History of the United States, which teaches two generations that the United States is inherently evil, that there are, you know, uh, so it's no wonder that especially younger voters would be like, yeah, the UN is obviously has more moral authority than anything than the United States because, you know, we're we're terrible. And so, you know, that that's what you get. You get people who don't love their country, who don't understand its government and its systems and uh, want to look outside for the United Nations who, I mean, if you're a child, if you're, you're, your first introduction to the UN is UNICEF, they're out there helping children and all sure. that stuff. 
So yeah, so it actually doesn't surprise me at all. I think we have a real generational education problem in this country. Chris, you're a former public teacher. You know, you should go back into that into that business and fix that for us. <laughs> yeah, go oh, Chris. Jeez, I, I, I expect my, results by next hey, week. Hey, hey, I put yeah. my five years in. I tried my best, but Jim, you are 100% right. The vast majority of my former colleagues, were, uh, and I taught American government and U.S. history, were teaching that America is a bad place. It was, you know, built upon slavery, built upon racism, built upon sexism. That's why, you know, these responses, especially for the young people, do not surprise me much at all. But I have, I've also, you know, seen that they are so willing to say, well, but global institutions can solve everything. And the United Nations can solve everything in the World Economic Forum and these these great global. If we, if we just embrace globalism, then all of our problems will be solved. I completely disagree with that. Yeah. So we are going to race through a lot of these answers. We're already at the 40 minute mark. So uh, as Jim said, you can see all of these results. Go to heartland.org. There'll be little feature tabs at the top. Click on it and you can see uh, a press release outlining all the important findings here, as well as cross tabs to look into all of the data that's available to us. So the second set of numbers, we ask questions about the Constitution. So we start off with the general favorability of the Constitution. Thank goodness this one had a high number. 81% of likely voters had a very or somewhat very uh, or a somewhat favorable opinion of the Constitution. This number dropped to only 74% for Democrats, uh, so generally pretty high across the board. Um, I think the number was lowest amongst the 19 to 39-year-olds, 64%, but still around two-thirds. Then we asked those same kind of questions that we had for the Supreme Court. Is the U.S. Constitution document rooted in racism? Uh, 35% of likely voters agreed to that. Uh, 58% of Democrats said that the Constitution was rooted in racism. I don't know how they could have a high favorability rating for the Constitution and also think that it's rooted in racism, but okay. Uh, then we asked the question about uh, whether or not the U.S. Constitution was sexist. 30, no, 41% of likely voters said that, yes, it was sexist. And out of Democrats, 64% said that it was sexist. So all of those all of those results, you could probably just copy and paste Jim's response to those uh, set of questions that he said for the Supreme Court. But I do want to focus a little bit more attention on this last one. Again, this is kind of the pushing the envelope question. Do you strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, or strongly disagree with the following statement? The U.S. Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. 31% of likely voters said yes to this. And out of Democrats, 50%, actually 49%, right around half of Democrats said yes, the U.S. Constitution should be mostly or completely rewritten. The only thing that beats that number, as far as I can tell, is that 19 to 39-year-olds, 51%, over half want the Constitution completely or mostly rewritten. Jim, I'll give you first swing on this one. Yeah. Uh, again, I think that this goes into the idea of positive rights to negative rights. Um, you know, the Constitution as written and envisioned by the founders, and it's the greatest governing document ever, ever uh, put down on paper, is to protect us, the people who are free from government, um, you know, imposition upon our natural rights. The left, and again, if you most people educated in, in America's public schools, think that the a constitution should be rewritten to ensure positive rights. In other words, you have a right to health care. We should put that in the constitution. You have a right to a job. We should put that in the constitution. You know who wrote constitutions like that? 
communist countries wrote, com wrote constitutions like that. The, the Constitution of the Soviet Union was a beautiful document on paper. <laughs> it guaranteed all of these wonderful rights to the people, and they were material rights. And it was, it was, to, it, it was to, well, teach the people that their rights, their life really, comes from government. And, and what was life like in the Soviet Union? Obviously very miserable, very cruel, very deadly, if you had any, uh, any other ideas about freedom. And so, you know, again, we live in a country in which it, it's a soft kind of, it's a much softer kind of socialism in which we have mainstream politicians, you know, Bernie Sanders, AOC, I know they're on the left and they're, they're socialists, but they're on TV all the time saying that uh, we should have a right to this and a right to that uh, instead of having a constitution that protects our own rights from government infringement. So this is one of the, one of the dreams of the left is to rewrite the constitution. There's a lot of, you know, the Heartland Institute, we have a, a, a center on constitutional reform. We did a lot of discussions with a lot of allies, what's called the Article 5 movement, which is to reconvene a, a convention of the states to, to make changes to the constitution. Uh, it's a risky endeavor though, to a lot of people think, because what would happen? We would end up with a constitution rewritten in the way uh, that the left would like it to be, that the communists had written uh, constitutions to be, and it would destroy even the little semblance we have left of a constitution now, when it's adhered right. to, that protects our rights. So uh, yeah, they wanna rewrite a constitution in that way. And in fact, just one last, last thing, liberal hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, she was traveling internationally and giving a speech and there was Q&A afterwards, it was something like that. But I think it was in South Africa. But she said, I would not recommend that you follow uh, the United States Constitution as a oh, model. Jeez. That you need to, if somebody can Google it for me, maybe it'll be in the, in the comments here before we do it. I believe it was South Africa. But yeah. she, she did not even hold up the Constitution she was sworn to protect <laughs> as a model for other countries jeez. that want to live in a free society. That is where, that's where we are. It's, yeah, it's you sad. know, you know, the Soviet Constitution, uh, the Soviet Union Constitution promised a lot of things, including uh, uh, some of those positive rights that Jim mentioned, as well as uh, like freedom of speech and a whole bunch of things that we would think would be good. But there was a massive asterisk in there that said, like, unless it's at the detriment of the collective, then all of those rights are kind of swept away and you could be put in a gulag and it's all perfectly constitutional. So, yeah, that's uh, I'm sure that's probably the way that they would want it uh, redrafted. Uh, there is a whole nother set of questions here that I am going to just very, very briefly go over uh, because I do want to save some time for that last topic that we have. This one had some very basic questions like, are you proud to be an American, which you might be happy to hear that 80 percent of likely voters were happy to be Amer uh, proud to be an American, either very or somewhat proud. Only 70 percent of Democrats, but still high. You know, well, I'll give them some credit there. Uh, do you agree that uh, with this following statement, America is the best country in the world? 77% of likely voters said yes to that. Democrats, 69%. Uh, that younger age group, 62%. So not fantastic, but still, you know, not 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 the worst. Uh, then we had the, the, the questions about sexism and racism. Um, and then the last question that we had, and again, if you want to look into all of these things in depth, you can check out our stuff on heartland.org. But would you strongly favor, somewhat favor, somewhat oppose, or strongly oppose legislation that would give the United Nations authority over the U.S. government to protect the civil rights of American citizens? Uh, Twenty, no, thirty percent of uh, likely voters strongly or somewhat favor this idea, and Democrats forty-three percent. And uh, the worst is that younger age group, nineteen to thirty-nine year olds, over half. 
53% want, again, to cede some of our national sovereignty to a supranational government organization like the United Nations. Absolutely crazy stuff, uh, but these are the these are the results that we got. We are going to continue to do polls here at the Heartland Institute through Rasmussen. So if you have any ideas where we can go from here, any other questions or something, put them in the uh, the comments underneath this video, and we'll uh, we'll take them into consideration. But I do want to save some time for this last section of the podcast. Uh, this. Uh, this stems from an article that Jim sent me earlier in the week from Breitbart. Headline, World Economic Forum, Gas Prices Must Go Even Higher to Save Democracy. So the article starts off saying the World Economic Forum, uh, you know, the biggest advocates of the Great Reset, released a position paper Monday that inexorably links two claimed global crises as one, climate change and the decline of democracy. It says fighting the former can save the latter as long as consumers stop burning coal, oil, and gas in exchange for green renewables. The WEF paper argues for the past 15 years, democracy has been in decline worldwide. To protect and promote freedom, to quote, leading democracies must strengthen their economies and safeguard liberty. Eh, you know, nothing to uh, disregard so far here. It goes on to say ignoring progress towards a low carbon economy would put democracies in greater economic peril, not less, while repeating the broader demand for environmental activists for companies uh, to stop investing in fossil fuels. Uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine has brought renewed focus on this economic weakness, the WEF says. So here's where it starts to get a little interesting. What is the answer for the U.S. and Europe? Pricing the alternatives to green energy out of the market, it says. So this is quoting from the World Economic Forum paper. First, leading democracies must agree to end the underpricing of fossil fuels, uh, which is the principal factor preventing a clean energy transition. The underpricing associated with producing and burning coal, oil, and gas amounted to $5.9 trillion in economic costs in 2020. Nearly a quarter of those losses, 1.45 trillion, occurred in 48 major and smaller democracies. So basically all of this is to say gas prices need to be higher and that'll push us towards democracy saving technologies like renewable energy. Uh, Jim, you would think this was made up if it wasn't just directly written and available on their website. What, what, what's your reaction to this? Well, like most things on the left or produced by the left, the truth is the absolute 100% inverse of what they try to state in clear, plain language. Do you know where they get this idea? Put If you put that back up on the screen, uh, Andy, so I can read it again, I, see, I remember what it said. But this idea, there we go, the underpricing of fossil fuels. The First, underpricing. Democracy should end, should end the underpricing of fossil, fossil fuels, which they said amounted to $5.9 trillion in economic costs in 2020. Uh, that is complete nonsense. Uh, fossil fuels are the cheapest, most reliable energy uh, that we have on this planet. And the cheaper and more efficient energy you have, the more economically efficient your economy is, which means it doesn't cost money, it saves money. But they but they put this they put this in there because they 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 calculate out of thin air the damage to the environment because the, because of carbon dioxide emissions that that will. 
uh, th that will impose. So they just they just make up numbers and say, well, burning this this amount of fossil fuels cost X trillion dollars to the to the economy for some reason. It's all complete phony baloney nonsense. Uh, but that's where they get that idea of under. So we're underpricing fossil fuels in their minds, in, in our global elites minds. Gasoline shouldn't even be five dollars or even ten dollars a gallon. It should probably be a hundred dollars a gallon because of all the damage that it's doing to the to the earth uh, that actually isn't doing to the earth. But, you know, that's where all this this nonsense comes from. And to yeah. think and to think, uh, you know, a, a majority of Democrats in this country would like the U.N. to have more control over the over the United States. Isn't that great? Yeah, the paper goes on to argue that uh, compliance can be and must be enforced using taxes and other coercive methods. And considering how well things are going in Sri Lanka, we mentioned this, uh, we talked about this last week. It's hard for me to take anything the World Economic Forum has to say, uh, you know, uh, seriously. So, uh, Chris, you were telling me about this. There is an article that was on the World Economic Forum website that was called, This is How I Will Make My Country Rich by 2025, the, the Sri Lankan prime minister. And the article was uh, was given, it was actually a speech, I think, that was given by the prime minister of Sri Lanka at a World Economic Forum event. This article, again, posted on the World Economic Forum, promoted by the World Economic Forum on their website. And supposedly it was removed temporarily from their website. And I see it now. So maybe they brought it back after people started calling them out. But in it, it says um, our economic policy vision 2025 is firmly embedded in several principles, including a social market economy that delivers economic dividends to all. Now, considering that uh, Sri Lanka is just completely collapsed and their rulers have been chased out of their mansions and all of this and gas prices are going through the roof, energy prices going through the roof, food prices going through the roof. Um, doesn't seem like we should be following anything the World Economic Forum has to say. Uh, what, what say you, Chris? Uh, well, in general, I am uh, pretty uh, worried when I hear like five-year plans, considering the fact <laughs> that the Soviet Union was a big fan of five-year plans, and those didn't go too well. So when the when uh, the World Economic Forum says, "Hey, Sri Lanka, we've got a great idea. Let's just let us remake your economy, and you guys were going to be." fabulously wealthy by 2025 yeah the exact opposites happened their economy has completely collapsed unfortunately the uh, world economic forum and the globalists want to use these uh smaller countries to you know be their guinea pigs for their you know green new deal uh type of agenda and guess what it is completely utterly failing and right. i think that i think that you know people around the world are going to get wise to this the same thing is happening in the Netherlands. The same thing is happening in Ghana. Same thing is happening in countries across the world who got on board with, you know, WEFs and United Nations and, you know, World Bank and just all, all these giant global institutions who are trying to push ESG and the Great Reset, you know, down their throat and yeah. and, and and look look up what's happening. I, yeah, you it, know, it, it is an abysmal failure when the, the when the great reset and the idea of uh stakeholder capitalism got on our radar it's because all of these people started saying the same quotes it was like they were reading from the same playbook so when i saw this article with the with this wef paper talking about yeah we need high energy prices that's going to quicken the, the the transition to renewable energy and it's going to safeguard democracy it it made me think of, and we didn't play this clip a couple of weeks ago when it came out, or maybe a week ago. It reminded me of this uh, clip of the White House Director of National Economic Council was on CNN 
And he's asked about, you know, what are we going to do about all of these high gas prices and energy prices? And the response by this this White House director of uh, uh, National Economic Council was kind of shocking. So we have this video. Go ahead and play it. Andy. Sustainable. What do you say to those families who say, listen, we can't afford to pay four eighty five a gallon for months, if not years. This is just not sustainable. Well, what you heard from the president today was a clear articulation of the stakes. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. We've built the rule-based liberal yep. Can you global pause it real order. quick, Andy? To build it and sustain the liberal internet. All right. So, yeah, that, so he says it's, it's, to protect, it's to protect the uh, liberal new world order, right? And uh, let, me just, let me also just point out that that man, Brian Deese, who I said is the White House Director of the National Economic Council. He was also formerly the Global Head of Sustainable Investing at BlackRock. So it's oh, a wow. very interesting relationship that we've got going on here, him pushing for this type of thing to make sure that the sustainable investing in BlackRock becomes more profitable if we do price out any alternatives to renewable energy. So that in and of itself is disgusting. But then the rest of this video is a whole bunch more examples of people using the same talking points. Go ahead and play the rest of the clip, Andy. National world order. Uh, create uh, uh, a new world order. An incredible window of opportunity to lead in shaping a new world order for the 21st century. To collapse the liberal international order. Simply put, Mr. Putin has a different vision of the future. Established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people dying, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're gonna, there's gonna be a new world order out there. Of how we can really create, I would say, a new world order. Uh, the last clip being Klaus Schwab, the uh, want-to-be supervillain in the next James Bond franchise. Uh, but Jim, I mean, I, I, when we talked about this before, the the idea of the New World Order was this like cornerstone of conspiracy theories. You know, you, people would be reading between the lines and talking about these, you know, organizations that didn't really matter or anything like that. But now we've got the World Economic Forum, President of the United States, routinely using this rhetoric. What What are we supposed to think about it? You're supposed to think that the purpose of this, uh, the, the World Economic Forum and the green, you know, the global Green New Deal and all of these things is to destabilize democracies. I mean, one of the again, this that that World Economic Forum paper is complete bullshit. And it's a 100 percent turned around from from reality because they say that unless we move to a low carbon economy that could put, you know, uh, progress Ignoring progress toward a low carbon economy could put democracies in greater economic peril, not less. Uh, everybody saw on their TV screens that Sri Lanka, which is a democracy, is very much now in peril. Right. I mean, mobs of thousands of people in what is a real insurrection. They they had a, a, a camera from up high, like on a drone or something like this. It looked like like a like swarming ants going into an anthill to take over the prime minister's residence. Making energy so expensive that people can't heat their homes in Germany right now, they're preparing. They say that your energy prices just in October. So as winter approaches in Germany, their energy prices could go up five times. They could go right. from paying, you know, uh, you know, five thousand dollars instead of fourteen hundred dollars uh, for their energy prices like year over year. I mean, that's how you destabilize yeah. democracy. Talking about rationing energy in Germany. Yeah, in they're talking Germany, about rationing. 
Yeah, they're talking about rationing energy in Texas, too, now, because of the heat waves that are going on. And Texas has overextended themselves when it comes to renewable energy. But there was a tweet that I saw recently talking about uh, for all of the electric car owners in Texas to limit when you charge your car because it's putting a big strain on the grid. It's like, this is this is what's not sustainable, folks. Right. (laughs) the, Go the ahead, liber- sorry. The, no, I want Chris away in here too, and we're running out of time. But the liberal world order is actually an illiberal world order in which governments control almost your every move. Yep. They determine exactly what your cost, what your quality of life is going to be, what your standard of living is. Right. And they have always believed that, especially here in America, that our standard of living, our freedoms, uh, they don't like it. Because we, you can't control a people that have freedom and economic freedom and personal freedom and that have, frankly, cheap energy and can live the way they want to live. And that's what the liberal new world order is going to be. It's going to be illiberal and it's going to be with governments controlling almost every aspect of your life because now we are seeing the acceleration of rationed energy, even in the most powerful uh, economic engine of Europe, which is Germany. It's insane. Right. I never thought we'd ever get to this point. It's certainly not this quickly. Uh, Chris, I'll give you final words on this to wrap up the podcast. Yeah, so I was actually watching that CNN interview with Brian Deese uh, when it was uh, live airing. And the thing that immediately came to my mind was uh, the let them eat cake uh, uh, a moment during the French Revolution uh, when, you know, you've got hordes of people, you know, starving to death. And the, uh, the, the king and queen are just so out of touch and just so, you know, in their own you know, bubble that it that they, they can't even right. comprehend what's happening. And I think that a guy like Brian Deese, who has been a BlackRock, you know, uh, executive for all these years and now is, you know, in the Washington, D.C. bubble, he does not understand that people in Ohio, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Nebraska are are struggling to to make ends meet on a monthly basis. They're struggling to put gas in their car and food on the table. And what what is his response? Oh well, we just need more green energy, and they'll just you know they'll they'll just have to deal with it. It's it's it, it goes to show what they really think about you know everyday Americans it really does. Yeah, no, it is uh, it is wild stuff. But the the conspiracy theories of of a decade ago are like the realities of today. So who yeah. knows what's going to happen? But we are going to continue to track it on the In the Tank podcast. I want to thank you all for joining us. Those of you who are joining us on a Friday, you're probably listening to the audio only version. Check out the video version. Join us on Thursdays at noon central time. Join the conversation. Leave your comments and questions. Maybe we'll show your comments on the screen. Maybe we'll address your questions on the fly. Uh, Please subscribe. Write a review for us on iTunes. That'd be greatly appreciated. Hit that like button. Leave a comment. All things that you could do to help break through those big tech algorithms that prevent content like this from reaching more eyes. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at InTheTankPod. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, feel free to email us at InTheTankPodcast at gmail.com. Jim Lakely, where can the fine people find you? At Jay Lakely on Twitter, at Heartland Inst on Twitter, and also visit heartland.org. And Chris Talgo, what do you have to pitch today? Heartland.org and stoppingsocialism.com. All right, fantastic. Thank you all for joining us. We will talk to you next week. Resist. I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fit, my physical as well as my <laughs> mental fitness. Oh my God. <laughs>